Come on, church, let's lift him up one more time. Let's lift our voices to the Lord today. Hallelujah. You have won the victory, God. And your victory is our victory. And if it did not end in death with you, then it will not end in death with us. Father, you have overcome death, hell, and the grave. And you've done it for us. Father, when we praise you, we praise your name today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those who are here today that feel like life has beaten them down. They feel buried by the burdens of life. They feel like it's been a long time since they've seen a victory. But today, I pray that you would give them a fresh revelation of the the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of that resurrection for their life, Father God, that the victory is already theirs. And with that in mind, with the finish line in sight, that you would give them a divine perspective, Lord Jesus, and they would lift up their eyes to the heavens where their help comes from. And God, they would stand firm and they would live and walk in victory, Father God, because you paid for that victory on the cross and you overcame everything when you rose from the dead and we give you praise today, Father. In Jesus' name, let's give him one more hand clap this morning before we're seated. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give it up for the worship team and just thank them for leading us into God's presence on this awesome day. Oh, praise God. You know what? I wanna give you guys a head start, okay? Before I even start talking, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You got it. Somebody appreciated that. She's she's like, take a hint. Do that every week, Joe. By the time we get there, you're done. Praise God. Well, welcome. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Welcome to the greatest day of the year, although every day is Resurrection Day right? Every day is a day that, that we should be living and moving and walking uh, with the, the appreciation and the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you joined us on Friday night for our Good Friday gathering. If you were there, make some noise. Man, it was such a special time. The sun was setting. The, the temperature was perfect. And we just spent some time singing about the passion of Jesus Christ. And we considered a few things. We considered, number one, we considered our condition. And we came to the conclusion that according to the scriptures, um, before Jesus came, we were completely on our own and enslaved to our sins. We were held hostage and we could do nothing on our own about it. And so we were desperately in need of a savior and, and we... we uh, related that to a story of a man who ran into the flames to rescue his children from a burning bus and how he faced the flames himself so that he could rescue them. And this is what Jesus did for us. We were completely helpless. We couldn't, we couldn't come out of the flames on our own. And so he laid down his life for us. He was, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was beaten and bruised for our iniquities. He took stripes upon his back for our healing. And he shed every last drop of blood for the forgiveness of our sins. 
And that's when we consider the cost, just what it is that Jesus endured for you and me, what it is that he suffered. We described the, both the emotional and physical torment that he experienced during those hours of agony uh, before, during, and during the cross. And then we considered our response. How do we respond to such a love, to such a radical love? Well, when you recognize you've been loved so radically, the only normal response is a fanatical one, a radical one, to lay our lives down for him because he laid his life down for us. And today, we celebrate the fact that the cross was not the end, but he is risen. Not only were we helpless without him, not only did he love us so much that he endured the cross, but he overcame death and he rose from the grave on Sunday morning. But what does that mean? Today, I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling the story about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because what I want and I feel like what God wants to reveal to us today is the so what behind it. And not to sound uh, disrespectful or irreverent in that, but some of us grew up hearing the story of the resurrection and we never took the time to consider what it actually means for us and how it should change our lives. So today, after we've considered our condition, we've considered the cost, we've considered our response, today we consider what is gained because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that the resurrection would be like a discovery that changes everything to you. Like that light bulb moment where it finally, you ever have a light bulb moment in your life where things just went click and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm seeing everything clearly for the first time. I believe it was a lot like a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13, 44. We're gonna get to 1 Corinthians in a moment. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So you see, the hidden treasure caused him to quickly and enthusiastically sell all he owned. Why would he do that? Because he recognized the value of the secret treasure and he hid it. And he sold everything he had with enthusiasm. Can you imagine getting rid of all your possessions with enthusiasm? You wouldn't do that unless you understood the pricelessness of what you were trading it for. But see, if, it, what was, if that wasn't the case, see, he was on that piece of land for a reason. Maybe he was already shopping. Maybe he was already looking for land. And if he hadn't discovered that treasure, perhaps he would have been reluctant to pay too high of a price for it. And you know, when it comes to Christians, we live on both ends of the spectrum. We have reluctant Christians, and we have enthusiastic Christians, and we have all the Christians that are somewhere in between. And I submit to you that it's all dependent upon uh, the belief in and the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My prayer today is that I could turn the heat up on your relationship with Jesus as we discover that the resurrection actually happened and what it means for me and you. A belief and understanding of its value, I believe, produces a certain type of Christian, a type of Christian that is passionate, committed, bold, 
and sold out followers of Jesus. And so right now, we're going to go into testimony time at your tables. And say, at your tables, I want you to discuss this question. What impact has the resurrection of Jesus Christ had on your life? In what ways is that hope and power displayed in the way you live? Somebody say, testify. So we're going to testify at our tables, and we're going to come back here and continue to go through the scriptures. Wow. I love it when we have an opportunity to testify about God's power in people's lives. Just hearing some incredible stories that are encouraging and stir up faith in our hearts this morning. But it's a good question, right? The evidence of the resurrection. You know, I believe that scripture is clear that every Christian's life is meant to bear witness of the reality of what we celebrate today. That the way we live, the way that we work, the way that we love, the way that we respect, the way that we treat one another is to be a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in order to experience the, trans, the transformative power of the resurrection of Jesus in your life, there's two things that have to happen. First, you've got to believe with all your heart that Jesus, in fact, lives and that the tomb is empty. And secondly, you have to understand what it actually means for you. You have to ask and answer the question, so what? And again, that sounds so obnoxious, right? Jesus has risen, so what? Like you're being flippant about it, but you're not. You're asking a question that changes everything. So what? What does that mean? And so this morning, we're gonna consider what we gain because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for those who trust in it. And so first, we have to believe it, right? And so in, in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3, Paul, I think, does a masterful job at presenting a boatload of evidence for the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in just one paragraph. Check this out. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he was seen by James and later all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He gives us eight pieces of incredible evidence that Jesus actually died. And the fact that he died, he actually fulfilled scripture that we can look at the Old Testament and read prophecy that foretold of his death. And sure enough, that's exactly what take, took place. He, if you didn't believe he really died, well, they actually buried him. They put him in a tomb and they closed it up with a stone. And then he was raised from the dead and it was witnessed. 
It wasn't just that the tomb was empty, but the Bible teaches us that he appeared to hundreds of people. He appeared both to people that we know is very famous, like Peter and James and Paul. And he also appeared to over 500 people that will never hear their names uttered. And not only that, but to those 500 plus, they all saw him at the same time. This was not a a case of uh, hallucinating, for we know that people aren't going to have the same hallucination. Can you imagine that? Christ appearing, and, and I'm sure they're questioning, like, do my eyes deceive me? But then they lean over to their neighbor and like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yes, I'm totally seeing what you're seeing. That's Jesus, right? Yeah, look, you can see the wounds in his hands. You can see the scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns. That's him, and he's standing right before us. Are you seeing this? And the crowd is seeing this at the same time. They're testifying about it with one another. This is so incredible. And I love what Paul says at the end. As if I had been born at the wrong time, I too saw him. See, if you know the story of Paul, Paul did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he so did not believe in it that he persecuted the church and he was arresting Christians and having them dragged to prison, some of them even stoned to death for preaching that Jesus Christ had raised from the dead. He had no ulterior motives. He had no motivation whatsoever to, uh, to add to some sort of deception or to follow Jesus or to claim that he rose from the dead. He had everything to lose. But what was the difference? Jesus appeared to him. And he gave him a revelation that he was alive. And as a result, he was never the same again. This is what God is going to do for you this morning. I believe it. In Jesus' name, he's going to give you a a, a revelation for the first time or a fresh revelation of his resurrecting power. And it's going to change everything for you. The second part of that is we have to understand it. We have to know what it means for us. And you can follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Paul gives us the reason that we have hope here. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of, what's that word say there? All who have died. Christ was the first of the great harvest. What does that mean for you and me? It means that we're next. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're next. See, Paul, we're going to have to skip a bunch of this because this is a crazy long chapter. But he goes into detail about the idea that you and I will also have a bodily resurrection. And there's something very significant about that. See, why did Jesus' body have to rise? I mean, he came from heaven, right? Why couldn't he just rise in the spirit? See, there's a connection between body, soul, and spirit, and we exist together in all those three parts. And Jesus was the first to be resurrected. His body was resurrected. We know that because he came, and when he appeared to his disciples, he said, I'm hungry. And he sat down with them and they watched him eat. Can you imagine the reality and the revelation of his resurrection just sinking in as they're watching him chew? I imagine they didn't even touch their food. They're just like, he ate it all. It's gone. 
He's chewing. He's swallowing. He's really here in the room. I believe that's why Jesus ate. To show them, look, it's me. He showed his wounds. He still had his wounds. But it was him. His wounds identified him so that this wasn't, this wasn't a vision they were seeing. This wasn't even Jesus Christ appearing in the spirit. But it was him in the physical declaring an end to death's reign. Man, this is exciting stuff. Would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to pick up in verse 42. 1 Corinthians, verse 42. It says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. But uh, for just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would illuminate your words to us, Father God. Give us understanding and a revelation by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I want to emphasize to you what the resurrection means for us, for both our future and for our right now, for our tomorrow and for our today. In verse 42, I love how he uses the imagery of seed. He said, our bodies are planted when we die, but raised to life forever. 
The first thing that we receive in the future that we have to look forward to is immortality. Eternal life. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It sounds like fiction. It sounds like fairy tale. But it's in fact a promise from God. Notice how it says our bodies are planted, not buried, but planted. That word is actually translated to sow, just like a farmer would sow seeds and scatter them on the ground. Those seeds would be covered by the earth and they would produce plants that would spring forth. And just as a seed is not the end, but just the beginning of new life, so our life is that way. Because of this, there's meaning in death. Death is a necessary transition into the next life. It's not just, as you've heard people say, life stinks and then you die. Have you ever spent a season of your life where you lived with that mentality? Or maybe you know somebody who lives with that mentality? And so then they respond in kind, uh, like the scriptures actually say, like if there is no resurrection, then eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And all there is is this life, so you better just live it up as much as you can while you still have time because afterwards there's nothing. But the Bible promises us so much more that when our bodies are planted, they will one one day be resurrected. Even though it rots in the grave, even though it may turn to dust, every single last molecule will be accounted for and it will be brought together, it will be resurrected, and it will be glorified. See, it gets even better. It's not just eternal life. I mean, let's be honest. If you were offered eternal life today, just here on earth, just as it is now, is that that great of a promise? Life stinks sometimes, doesn't it? Life is hard. Sometimes life is full of pain. And so even that isn't quite the message of hope that we need. But we're promised more than that. It says our bodies will be buried in brokenness, but raised in glory. Number two, what we have to look forward to is perfection. That's right. Perfection. Some of you walk around acting like you're perfect and you're not. But if your hope is in Christ and you believe in the resurrection and what he has promised to you, then perfection is exactly what you have to look forward to. See, we literally, we're all dying right now because our bodies are literally breaking down. So there's like this process that happens with humanity. We're continually growing as children and we're maturing and we're like a piece of fruit. Like my neighbor has one of those grapefruit trees that hangs over our side and my parents love it because they come over and they take home grapefruit. I think grapefruit are disgusting. You've heard me say that before, right? So what happens at our house is they just stay there and then they ripen and then they start to rot and then they fall to the ground and we're left with all these hollowed out pieces of fruit that bugs have just devoured because they've rotted. And that's what happens to our bodies. They say that you reach a complete maturity. You're at the peak of your life somewhere in your 20s, 20 to 25. And then after that, you know the term over the hill? It starts a lot earlier than you think. So if you're in the room and you think you're a young whippersnapper this morning, but you're over 25, you're over the hill. Because already your body is starting to break down as the clock ticks towards the end. 
But in Jesus, this is not the end. And when you raise, you'll be given a glorified body. That word glory is a word that is attributed to God. It stands for God's infinite intrinsic worth. It's the substance, the essence of. It's what evokes good opinion, that something has inherent or intrinsic worth. Now, we all know those people, right, where we we are very um, envious of them, right? Because they have a certain physical appearance that evokes good opinion, right? Everywhere they go, they're like, wow, that person has got it going on. I wish I looked like them. And then we know those whose appearance leaves a little something to be desired. Why did you look at the person next to you? Come on, what's going on? But in heaven, it's different. I guess really what Paul is saying is that in heaven, everyone's a hottie. Everyone's a tent. Okay, yeah, that's something we can celebrate. When we get to heaven, our bodies are going to be glorified. Now, it's not going to be a hottie in the sense we use the term. There's nothing sexual about this. But we will be glorified. And you know what? In this life, people make all sorts of unfair judgments about us based on our appearance. Whether it's our face, the way we wear our hair, the kind of clothes we wear. And we are judged and we are labeled and we are put in a box. Some of you grew up being made fun of as a child because of the way you looked. But I'm telling you that when God resurrects us or when you are transformed and you are given your new glorified body, people are going to look at you and they're going to pass the same judgment that they do upon everyone else, that God is good and they will see the glory of God reflected in your eyes and his intrinsic worth will be shining on your face. He says in verse 43 that we are buried in weakness but raised in strength. That word strength comes from the word that's usually translated power like in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the Greek word dunamis. Um, It's the ability to perform For the believer, power to achieve by applying the Lord's inherent abilities. So right now, we have the power of the Holy Spirit as believers because he lives in us and we can be baptized in his power and he flows out of us in spite of our immortal body. But what we're seeing is something's going to take place at the resurrection that we're going to be glorified, that even our bodies will be infused with this power. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the days where my aches and pains are gone forever. See, this body right here, it has arthritis, but my resurrected, glorified body is going to have perfectly healthy joints. This body has Crohn's disease, but when it's raised up, it's going to be free from digestive issues. Your body is susceptible to sickness and disease, but when it's raised again, it's going to be raised to last forever. Your body is weak, but it will be raised with enhancements. Bodies that don't have the same limitations are not subject to the laws of nature, and they are eternal so powerful. There are five things. Now, I've told you two things that we have to look forward to. Now, I want to share with you five things that we can gain right now from the belief in and the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the now. In verse 46, it says, what comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. What I want to emphasize here is that it's just a simple natural order that must take place. 
This is the natural order. With this in mind, we understand that everything on this earth is temporary. See, we know that we're headed towards a day where we're, we're going to die. It's just the reality of things. But when we get this eternal perspective, and that's the first thing that we get, an eternal perspective, it changes the way we approach life. It changes the way we experience life. It changes our attitude about life because we have a completely different perspective. It's like being able to see the finish line. Have you ever noticed that when you're doing something very physically or emotionally taxing, uh, you can feel like you've spent it all and you've got nothing left? But when you can see the finish line, suddenly you you realize that you've got a little bit more. I can do anything for just 10 more seconds. I can do anything for just 30 more seconds, whatever it may be. When you can see the finish line, it makes all the difference. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to Jeff Foxworthy, but he has a little bit about uh, rental cars. And he talks about how whenever he gets the rental car, he always buys the additional insurance. Because he doesn't want to have to worry about what happens to the car. See, if you saved up all your money and then you went into debt financing a car and it was a really nice car, you got to be super careful with it. And if anything happens to it, you panic and you freak out. What if I don't have enough money to fix it and cover my car payment? But in a rental car situation, you pay for the extra insurance. So even if you total it or destroy it, they just come and they bring you a new one. And so he jokes by saying, whenever I get a rental car, they ask me if I want the optional insurance. And I say, yes, I do, because you've got a Ford Fiesta that's about to catch more air than a skateboard at the X Games. (laughs) And so what happens is he drives the rental car with reckless abandon, with no worry about preserving it. And so this is what it means to have the hope of resurrection in our life. Not that we're careless with our life, but we don't live in safety. We're not petrified by death. We don't have to worry about preserving our life because we know that God is going to resurrect us in new life. And so this belief serves as a lens that enables us to view life through a heavenly perspective. Everything we face on this side of heaven, instead of becoming a horrible tragedy, can be looked at as just a speed bump. Every trial is just a speed bump signaling that we're getting closer and closer to the day when God comes and he makes it all right. Think about that. When you suffer trials and hardships in this world, it's like, it's a reminder, he's coming soon. I'll be resurrected someday. It's powerful. So in verse 47, he says, the first man was made from dust, but Christ came from heaven. See, we came from Adam first, so we also came from the dust. But soon we will have a heavenly body like Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5.18, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Okay, Because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible teaches us that we're born into that. We carry that sin. But... Here's the good news. The good news. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. See, we all come from Adam, so that means we carry his DNA, and not only are we born into sin and guilt because we come from a sinful person, but we actually carry this natural fallen nature. That means that's why we have the evidence that we don't have to teach a toddler how to be selfish. 
or how to be sinful or how to be angry, how to act in violence towards another child or maybe even their parent, right? They pick these things up inherently because it's a part of their nature and it's all Adam's fault. Think about it. So anytime you suffer difficulties, it's Adam's fault. Anytime a a woman suffers pain in childbirth, it's Adam and Eve's fault, right? Anytime uh, death comes upon us or our loved ones unexpectedly, it's Adam's fault. And so in other words, we're all a part of the Adam's family. (laughs) And that is why we are creepy and we're kooky, mysterious and spooky and altogether ooky, right? Because we have that sinful nature and it's a part of who we are. And some might say, that's not really fair, Pastor Joe. Why am I suffering the consequences of a sin that a man committed thousands of years before I was even a gleam in my father's eye? It makes no sense why I would have to uh, carry that burden and suffer the consequences of that person's sin. Well, what if I were just to play along with you and say, yeah, I agree with you. That's not fair. Now let's apply that to the flip side of that. Is it fair that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago before you were ever born? You weren't there for that, and yet the Bible says you were included in that price that was paid, and he has redeemed you from your sins through his blood on the cross. You did nothing to earn it, but it was extended to you. That when he hung on that cross, he had you on his mind before you even existed. I'm thankful that God is not fair. Amen. And so Paul, skipping ahead to verse uh, 51, so he's been talking about the resurrection of the dead. But what about those of us that are still alive when he returns? He says, let me let you in on a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. There may be some of us in the room today that will never taste death. That's the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that if we remain alive until he returns, instead of dying, we'll be transformed. It says it'll happen in verse 52, in the blink of an eye. That means it's, it's so instantaneous that you can't see it. Uh, before you even realize it, it will have already happened. Those who are living will be transformed, it says. This, refer- this is actually a reference to what we call the rapture of the church. When Christ returns for his church and it says that we will meet him in the air. This is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, like we've already talked about, then together with them. We who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. The second thing we gain is total freedom from fear. Complete freedom from fear. In verse 54, we're back in 1 Corinthians 15 again. It says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, 
Where is your sting? I love this. The mocking nature of this. It's like a song made up to make fun, right? It's like when we were kids and we're like, so-and-so has cooties, so-and-so has cooties. Basically, if this is, now if you translate this to modern day language from the original Greek, it says, na-na-na-na-boo-boo, you can't get me death. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's, it, what's amazing about this is this is casual approach to death. Something that for so many people, it grips them with fear. For others, it pours salt into old wounds. And they remember those that they've lost. Some of us struggle with even the topic of death, especially those who have suffered the loss of loved ones, children, parents, siblings. Now, I gotta be honest with you. There's been times where I've been watching a movie or a television show and I've turned it off or turned the channel because a child died or because someone's wife died. And I just simply was not comfortable with thinking through that and processing that emotion. And so I just flipped it off. Didn't want to think about that. I'm going to watch something that has a happy ending. That's one thing you have to give credit to Hallmark for, right? You always know how it's going to end, but at least it doesn't leave you thinking, what would I do if my spouse left and died and I never got them back? This is the power that the enemy tries to wield over us. See, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But because of the resurrection, instead of fearing death, we can mock it. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, we will have the last laugh. Because every single person who lies in their grave today will one day be risen up and they can dance on their own graves and they can say, devil, you thought you had me. Death, you thought you had me. But na-na-na-na-boo-boo, you can't get me. Come on, somebody. Death has lost its sting because sin, it says in verse 56, is the sting that results in death. That's the third thing. We get freedom from sin. Death is pictured here as this devouring monster that, that uses sin to sting its victim. I can almost picture like a scorpion. You guys have any scorpion problems at your house? We used to have that. Those are straight from hell, dude. I'm telling you. Like I look at those things and I'm like, devil, right there. That's a devil. That's almost as bad as a snake. Almost. And I just picture that, like there's this, this stinger at the end, and that's how sin works. It, it looks like it's desirable, it looks like it's pleasurable, but what it does is it intends to kill and still and destroy your life. And what gives sin's venom its potency is condemnation. But through Jesus, our spirit is immune to the sting, immune to that condemnation. In Galatians 5.22, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That's why there's no sting against it because there's no condemnation because there's no law against it. Now he goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 
So what we see is that the cross has put to death the evil passions and desires, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead produces within me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says in verse 57, God gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus. He says in Romans, there is therefore no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. Because only the resurrected Savior can remove your guilt and save you from your sins. I want to tell you this morning that if you repent of your sins and put your trust in the resurrected Savior, he will forgive you. He will set you free from your sin and he will give you new life. And his resurrection is proof of that promise because you listen to the guy that came back from the dead. Over every argument, over every logical reasoning, if he is risen, that is the ultimate mic drop. The tomb is empty. Now that we have this belief and understanding, he says in verse 58, be strong and immovable. This is a result of what he has just explained. So he's saying now that you have belief and faith in and a knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the bodily resurrection that you're promised, now that you know that, you have every reason No matter what situation you're in, no matter if things are going well or you're at a valley in your life, you have every reason. There is never a scenario that will ever justify you being down in the dumps and without hope. Because yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Be strong and immovable. That word strong means to sit Solidly based, well-seated, steadfast, firm, morally fixed, firm in purpose, well-stationed, securely positioned, not given to fluctuation or moving off course. This really got me thinking about how life, life isn't really steady or immovable, is it? It's constantly changing. The Bible says your life is but a vapor. And a young kid heard that one time in a sermon, and he asked his dad, Dad, what's a butt vapor? What are you talking about? Well, the pastor said that your life is but vapor. That wasn't necessary. But what that means is a vapor just gets carried along in the wind. And life is like that, isn't it? The wind shifts and everything falls apart. Things can be going completely smooth, and then the storm comes. And in human nature, we want to respond to those trials and tribulations with emotion. Whatever emotion it evokes and stirs up within us, then we react in that emotion. And oftentimes, we try to take control of the situation in our emotion. And instead, what happens is because we give in to that emotion and that fear and that dread of wanting to take control is, in fact, we end up allowing the enemy to manipulate us through our emotions based on how we respond to the the things that are happening to us in life. And so the proper perspective is a huge key to will I be tossed to and fro by the things that happen to me in this life or will I have something firm to hold on to? 
Because God has given us so much more powerful, something so much more powerful than our emotions and our own efforts to hold on to. In Hebrews, it says, God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I think we all know how an anchor works, right? We cast it out the side of the boat, and though the wind and waves come, we don't stray off course because the anchor holds us where we are until the storm passes. We're able to remain strong and immovable, church, not because the sea is calm, not because life is rosy, but because we have the anchor of God's promise and oath. And when he says, I'm coming back again, when he says, I'm preparing a place for you, when he says, you're gonna be resurrected, you can take it to the bank. So he says, be strong, be immovable. Finally, he says, work enthusiastically for the Lord. Number four, we gain an infectious enthusiasm with the proper belief and trust in and understanding and knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it creates an infectious enthusiasm. That word for enthusiastically, it means all around, which indicates abundance or surplus, to exceed, to go beyond the expected measure, above and beyond what goes further, surpasses. So when he says to work enthusiastically, He's saying, in the things that you do for the Lord, go beyond what anyone would expect and do so with enthusiasm, do so willingly. Where does this enthusiasm come from? See, in this instance, what he's referring to here is based on knowledge. It's not necessarily a spiritual gift bestowed upon us by God's grace. Now, there are all sorts of grace gifts that God gives us, right? And his Holy Spirit works within us to to give us both the will and the power to please God. But this is a, a perspective and an enthusiasm that comes from the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a byproduct of a deep belief in and the understanding of the resurrection. So this begs the question, why are so many Christians walking around timid, fearful, discouraged, and exhausted all the time. I gotta be honest, some of you live, some of you serve, some of you worship as if somebody forgot to tell you that the tomb is empty. Because I'm not exaggerating to say that this changes everything. That the understanding, the perspective that comes from this makes the difference in any situation. Whether, whether you come in here carrying something heavy, the tomb is empty. You came in here with the worries and cares of this world, the tomb is empty. You lost a loved one, the tomb is empty. And one day, they'll be resurrected and we can meet them in the air. It changes everything. This belief and understanding should produce an enthusiasm that is put on display and the way that we work for the Lord. Not reluctantly or out of obligation, but did you know the way you serve is a reflection 
of your belief and your expectation. You know, I have kids that don't like chores. Anybody else? Right? So when they work, they don't do it with enthusiasm. I know you thought my kids were perfect and they were hard, enthusiastic workers because they do that for you, but they won't do it for us, right? And so it could be like the easiest thing in the whole world, like, like fold these six towels and it's, oh, right? And it's just like, it's like the towels made out of uh, thorns or something. And it's just, it's causing them excruciating pain. And, and they can never remember how to fold it either, right? It's like, it's like three steps, but yet we do the opposite of what you've taught us to do every single time, right? So that I have to unfold every single one and then refold it so it fits where it goes, right? But you know, something can shift miraculously if I come to them and I say something like, do a great job work hard, do it with excellence, and you can play video games. Or we're going out to ice cream at Brewster's, right? Suddenly, that knowledge changes their attitude. Okay, and then they start to fold quickly and neatly and carefully, and and they do a good job, and they get it all done. But what happened? Did did they suddenly gain ability or, or, or suddenly have this revelation of how to do it right? The only thing that actually changed was their perspective. They had something that they were looking forward to. They had an anticipation of a reward in the end. Now, church, because of the resurrection, Christians can have every reason to work with joy and enthusiasm in season and out of season, ups and downs, no matter what, as they await the glorious day of that resurrection. The last thing we get here, number five, is an unshakable purpose, an unshakable purpose. I don't know if you've ever felt a time in your life where you were questioning what your purpose was, questioning what it was you were put on this earth for, what you were created to do. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you need not question that. Even if you have not received the specific calling yet, like I'm not sure exactly, like am I supposed to go into vocational ministry? Is this the job God wants me to have? We all have the basic purpose of serving God, of fulfilling the great commission that is sharing the faith of Jesus Christ with the world, leading people uh, to salvation. And we are all a part of his redemptive work happening on the earth. And so Paul reminds us because of the resurrection of Jesus in verse 58, he says, nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Have you ever felt like your efforts were wasted? Come on. Have you ever been, I'll tell you what, be in kids ministry or youth ministry. And when you've prayed and prepared and studied and you've got this lesson with all these really cool illustrations and you get up there and you passionately begin to teach and they're just giggling and laughing and poking each other and you're like, I am talking to a wall right now. Or in youth ministry, when you're about ready to give an altar call for salvation and they're on their cell phones texting and you're like, why am I even doing this? Or when you don't see the results because no one responded to that altar call. Nobody came forward. Or maybe it's that family member that you're trying to point them in the right direction. You're trying to lead them to Christ. And it seems like it's just going in one ear and out the other. It's that feeling of purpose. 
purposelessness. That's hard to say. But we all know the feeling that it just doesn't matter. It's not making an impact. Charles Ellicott says, you might grow weak and faint-hearted if you think that all your work for God and truth here might be wasted, but it is not so. It cannot be in vain if it be in the Lord. Listen to this. Christianity never separates in precept or in promise the life that is and that which is to come. What he's saying is that your today is connected to your eternity. And what you do today, it has eternal implications. As long as you do it for the Lord, it's accomplishing something. Whether it's something you can measure or not, whether it reflects itself on an attendance sheet or a lifted hand or tears on a face, no effort is wasted in any work that is done for the Lord. What we do for God in this life brings about his kingdom on earth and no amount of disappointment can ever take away your significance in Christ whether you see the results or not, whether you receive credit for it or not, what you're doing for the Lord is making an eternal difference. Therefore, as Paul said, work enthusiastically. No matter what, you can work enthusiastically. You might for a season be serving in somewhere where it's, you don't feel like it's your gifting, but it's a need and you're meeting it. Do it enthusiastically. You might not be seeing the results, but you have a purpose and it do it with enthusiasm. That enthusiasm is infectious. It makes a difference in other people's lives. I wanna leave you with this thought here when it comes to purpose. See, the power in what we do for God is not from what we are doing, but from what has already been done. Let me say that again. The power doesn't come from what you are doing, but what from what has already been done. It is the resurrection that puts teeth to it, that makes what we do penetrate and make a difference in all eternity. And last of all, understand that God is pleased when he sees you working enthusiastically for him. I want you to bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak like only you can. You know our hearts. Reveal yourself to us. I pray for that person, Lord God, who's a skeptic. They doubt the the validity of the the testimony of your resurrection. I'm here to tell them today that they're in good company because the disciples doubted the validity of your resurrection. And when a group of women testified that he is risen, they didn't believe. They had to see for themselves. And God, you revealed yourself to many And as a result, their life was changed forever. And I'm asking right now, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would reveal 
your resurrected son to the skeptic and the doubter. Right now in Jesus' name. I believe right now you're receiving not only the revelation of his resurrection, but of his love for you. And it's melting away at your heart. It's healing wounds, even the ones that have scarred over. And he's drawing you. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. That means that because he arose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit is in this room right now and he's speaking to hearts and he's drawing you in. To those that don't know him, he's drawing you to salvation. To those of us that follow him, he's pulling you closer and saying, I desire intimacy with you. I wanna see you live with enthusiasm and purpose. I wanna, I want you to experience freedom from the sin that keeps weighing you down. I want, I want you to be free from fear of death. And I want you to have an eternal perspective. And he's drawing to you today. And I simply wanna give an invitation to you. If you're in the room today and you say, I feel the Spirit of God drawing me to salvation. And my spirit testifies within me that I believe the accounts of Jesus, that he is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, that he did rise from the dead. And I recognize my sin. I choose to turn from my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. If that's you in the room this morning, I just wanna invite you to stand so that we can pray for you wherever you are. You don't have to be shy, you'll be welcomed, you'll be celebrated. If that's you this morning, just stand at your feet wherever you are. You say, I wanna receive salvation. I need his forgiveness for my sins. Anybody in the room? Amen. Now I wanna to speak to the rest of you Anyone in here who needs a change in perspective, that fear has you paralyzed and you wanna experience freedom from fear. Maybe you've lost your enthusiasm for the Lord's work and you're serving begrudgingly and the resurrection power is not evident in your life. Maybe you're questioning your purpose right now and you feel lost, but you wanna step into God's purpose for you. If that's you and you just say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me and agree with me, I invite you to stand this morning. Would you stand if that's you? You want to see resurrection life evident in your life today. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Just all over this room, stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give it up for those that are standing right now. Father, we thank you so much that you are awakening your church, that you are awakening those who have gone to sleep. You are awakening those, Lord, whose hearts have uh, been broken, uh, have grown cold. Lord, those who feel lost right now. And Father, I thank you, God, that you are injecting resurrection life in us, Lord. May we live our lives in a way that reflects the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, I want to invite everybody to stand this morning and the team is going to lead us out in one more song of celebration. Death could not hold him down, amen? And in Jesus, we have the victory. Let's sing.
Yes, Lord. Father, we praise you. We thank you. God, you are alive. And that means everything. That changes everything for us, Father God. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death is not the end. God, for those who put their faith in you, God, death is just the beginning. We thank you, Jesus. And we give you praise, Lord God. We thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you for the hope of resurrection, that the loved ones that we've lost, Lord, the ones that we've lost in you, God, you preserve them and you will resurrect them, Lord, and we will be reunited with them, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, that the, the storms in life, God, do not have to beat me down because you are my anchor and I hold on to you, Father. So God, I just pray as we go, God, let the, the resurrection of Jesus be evident in our lives as Christians. And may we spread that hope everywhere we go. We thank you, Father. We worship you this day. We celebrate you this day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just give it up one more time? For Jesus. And God bless you guys. Have an incredible time with your family. He is risen. Amen. See you next time. <laughs>